days ago, uh, we were working through the end of Second Peter. And I always get this question whenever we're finishing a book, because at Midtree, we love working through books of the Bible. It's just kind of how we do life. I happen to think it's one of the healthiest ways to read the Bible, what with that being how God gave it to us and all. And so uh, I started getting the question, well, Will, what are we going to do after we finish First Peter? And my, my inclination is always, if we're in the New Testament, to go to the Old Testament. If we're in the Old Testament, go to New. If we're reading a narrative, then we move to something like prophecy, or, or we move to a different genre of Scripture. Um, but I think the Holy Spirit it was moving in a different way. It was, like I said a few weeks ago, and I don't even remember the sermon, so if y'all forget them, don't worry about it. Uh, I don't remember the sermon, but I said something to the effect of God expects his people to tell his stories of grace in their life. Not just our one-time testimony, but for us to constantly be telling stories of God's faithfulness. Well, the next week and the next couple of weeks, what ended up happening was I ended up getting phone calls, text messages, people who were uh, grabbing me at the end of service and just saying, Will, I've never done this before, but I feel like the Lord wants me to share part of my story. I don't even know what to do with that. I don't know what you need to do with that. I'm just telling you that that's something that the Holy Spirit has put on my heart. And when that happened, I pressed pause on thinking about going to Hosea, which is kind of what I was leaning toward. That may be coming in the future. And instead, I started asking the question, okay, Lord, well, if it is your desire for your people to tell your stories of faithfulness, how should we do that? And then we closed out the book of 1 Peter, and we ended with this young guy named Mark. And if you remember the story of Mark, he was a guy who had this wonderful start, probably grew up with the church at his house. He, he went on missionary adventures with Paul and with Barnabas, but somewhere along the way he lost his way, and it ended up leading to a, a huge division in the church. But by the time Peter gets to the end of his letter, Mark has been fully restored. Most people think that the gospel of Mark was written by Mark, spoiler alert, but at the behest of Peter, Mark would have been too young at that time to remember all of these things, and because Peter comes up so frequently in the gospel of Mark, and he gets really the worst rap for the life that he lives in Mark, many scholars think that Mark's gospel was heavily influenced, if not given to Mark, by Peter. So I see this, and I start wrestling with it, and start thinking, well, maybe we should check out Mark. And so this is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of months. Mark breaks down into two categories, and I'll show those to you up here. It's a 16-chapter book, and pretty much literally right down the middle, we have on one side chapters 1 through 8-ish, and then on the other side, we have chapters 8 through 16-ish. In the beginning of Mark, we see who the person of Christ is. All of our favorite stories, right, from being in Sunday school of uh, Jesus healing people, doing incredible things, multiplying bread and fish, those all live on the beginning of of Mark in the person of Christ, and then right in the middle, there's this huge, massive, cataclysmic shift in the narrative, and it moves from the person of Christ to the plan of God. That's why, if you have your Bibles, you can do this. It's, it's a fun little experiment to prove the point. You can look anywhere in that half, and you're going to see Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I, I mean, he walks up, and evil is like, what's up, Jesus? We know who you are. Please don't make my life horrible. If you're going to cast us out, how about we go into those pigs? And sickness is running. Disease is running. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the great physician and the good shepherd, and then a change. If we, if we were to look in, in Mark chapter 3, 
we would see the listing of the 12 apostles. The first one listed is Peter. The last one listed is Judas. Both of those men betrayed Christ. The difference is one betrayed Christ and repented. The other betrayed Christ and remained in that betrayal. Why? Because that's the Jesus he wanted. He wanted king of kings, lord of lords, take over Rome, give us our kingdom right now. But in that switch, what we find is that the king of kings and the lord of lords becomes a servant. We see that the great physician himself suffers and the good shepherd becomes the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world for all who would put their faith and trust in him. What a cool way to write a gospel narrative. Mark doesn't go chronologically. Uh, he he kind of does some interesting things. The entire temptation of Jesus is in two verses. He's like, Jesus got tempted. He won, and there were wild animals there. He's like, done, moving on to the next thing. And so what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks is you're going to see sort of the mosaic of the stories of this first half of Mark, the person of Christ, who Jesus is, King of kings, Lord of lords, the good physician, the great shepherd. And in, in tandem with us telling these stories from the gospel, we are going to be hearing stories of who Jesus is today in our own lives. And so the first type of story that we're going to deal with tonight is a calling story. It's when Jesus calls someone to leave a life that they were in and go into a different life. And so I'm going to invite Rob and Carrie Strickland up. They're going to be kicking off our testimony time. Give them a hand. Welcome them here. Rob and I go way back. Carrie's brother is one of my best friends, which pains me to say I do love the guy. Um, he's the worst internet troll I've ever met in my entire life, but I do love him. And Rob and I played Ultimate in uh, college, and I don't know, we've just sort of known each other. Rob, so you guys know, met with me before we started Midtree, and was like, if I can help you, let me help you. But it was one of the most humble, kind, generous people. Thank you guys so much. All right, I don't want to steal any more time. Rob, pastor of Highland Community Church, tell us your story of Jesus calling you guys. And really, well, he didn't call you, he called your whole family. He called your whole family. I'm assuming you were on board. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. All right, y'all tell your story. Well, that's, I laugh because that's part of the story. Yeah, well, that's our adoption story too. Karen Ann was on that train long before I hopped on. As I take the opportunity to just step into this role first, I did play ultimate with Will a lot, and he's so much better than me. Uh, you're very good at preaching I, I and you being ultimate. at church. <laughs> And so it's good to be able to see Will again on and off the field, literally. I am one of the most competitive people on the planet. And so Will has seen truly my raw side, and it's ugly. It's, it's nasty. But thank you for loving me even still. And, uh, you know, I, I've gotten better over the years. If Keller's still in here. We've played together. And I've gotten better. I've, I've just calmed myself down. I've seen the Holy Spirit bring a new temperament in my life. But I see it in my sons. I have three sons. And if you look up the word competition, they define it. It is raw, it is real. Brawls and blood happen in our backyard, in our house. We actually had a wrestling match about two years ago to where my middle son's bum went through the wall. We had to pull him out of the wall and then we had to fix the, fix the hall. So uh, that's, that's very much one of those stories to where I hate to see that in my sons because I know where they got it. The only person that I know that's more competitive than me is my wife. 
It is very true. I wanna just begin by telling you a story about our lives to just bring together our call, but I wanna just start with this, this passage. It's just one simple line. And this line is a line that haunts me. It's a line that I look at in 2 Corinthians, and when I see it, I, I just automatically come under such conviction that it's so weighty that I truly, in, in my mind, I don't even know what to do with it say, except say, Jesus, you've got to help me. And, and it's this. It's, I'll just read the, the context of it from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in 14. For Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he, being Jesus, died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. That's that new disposition through the work of the Holy Spirit, renewing us from the inside out. And then this is what it outworks to look like. And this is the part that just wrecks me because I don't do this, and I so hope to. From now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. So when I read that, I realize that for the most part, I'm just sizing up the humans that are around me and trying to figure out a way to feel good about myself. The reality of it is, is that That is exactly what sin causes us to do, to try to measure ourselves up, to feel good enough, to to measure ourselves up, to make ourselves feel like we can be in this person's presence and feel okay about ourselves in this person's presence, that they don't feel too embarrassed by knowing me or being in my presence. And so what happens here is that as we look at this passage, what begins to really fit into this as far as our life, as far as our calling to live in North Highland where we live, to live in a place to where we are just allowing the gospel to pour out of our lives through the work of Highland Community Church, through the work of True Spring, which I'm gonna talk more about in just a second, and that is this. Our call was not a call to where it was gentle or, or welcomed. As a matter of fact, I think it's fair to say for both of us we despise the fact that it was a call that was coming toward us because we did not want to embrace it. But again, we were compelled. We could not escape what the Lord was asking us to do, to live in North Highlands and to serve in a way to where Highland Community Church gives people who do not look like us, who do not live like us, who we have very little in common with, and for the most part, we have foreign lives from. Our childhoods, what we understand to be true about our worldview, who we are, often it's foreign. But we're in a position to where, from this compelling of Christ's love within us, we could not escape this call that was to love these people who truly, when you look at them in a merely human way, you think, this is a waste of our lives. This is not at all worth anything, but the reality of it is, is that is exactly what it is that strikes me about this passage. I don't look at any of them who don't look like me, who don't think like me, in a merely human way. I look at them in a way to say they are people worthy 
to receive Christ's love because they bear the image of God. And so Highland Community Church is a church that is on the wrong side of the tracks. It is a church on Fifth Avenue, and I pastor that church. As a matter of fact, I had the privilege to plant that church now since 2005. And we exist to offer the gospel to the poor and to develop, uh, just to disciple the poor and to be in a position to where we do life with them. But the other side of that coin is Truth Spring is an, uh, just really an opportunity to where we've had a, not, a nonprofit put together, and as that nonprofit exists, we then develop people who live there. So Highland Disciples, True Spring develops, and we're in a position to where so many have come alongside us to help and to make the work of the church go forth and to give us through the chance of being at True Spring to develop so many children through True Spring Academy, through True Spring Trade School, through True Spring Housing. And so first, let me just say this before we continue on, I turn this over to Carrie. I just wanna sit up here before you and let you know that if there is a, a compelling from Christ's love in you to serve someone, to offer Christ to someone who is foreign to you, who doesn't look like you, I cannot tell you how rewarding it is to be able to know that there is an agreement between God and me that is rooted in obedience to say, it is all about you that I exist. And why I can't make sense of why this happened or, or why this call really is a call that you place upon our lives, we will not in any way abandon this compelling to be in agreement with you, O Holy Spirit, in obedience to you, O Lord. And so I just wanna encourage you to look for the opportunity to embrace what the Lord puts before you in obedience. It is so rewarding, hard, yes, rewarding all the more. And so as we look at this here, we then look at this final part of this passage. He goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. And since we've been there, I'm gonna pass the baton to Carrie now, we have seen old things pass away, and we have seen people turn from crack to Christ and continue to see just the renewal and the work of the Holy Spirit happen in the life of the people of our church, and it's been so worth it. Had we just said, nah, God, we're going to go and figure out our own Christian version of living, and, and you, we'll just ask you to bless it. We're going to put together the call. You just stamp it with your blessing so we can go do our thing. We would have missed that opportunity, and I'm so glad that we were willing to obey. So I'm going to pass the baton to Carrie to talk about how that looks <laughs> from her perspective. Yes, to and give a little bit of background on kind of where it all came, hopefully setting the stage for those of you who are going to come share about True Spring and the ways that y'all are plugged in. Um, really, Philippians 2 was our calling. That's the best way that I can say it. Early on in 2005, when we first moved there, as you know, it was not something that we were in a that was not something we wanted to do was give our lives to this very broken community. But Throughout that first year, as we were battling that and literally fighting the Lord, saying, this is not what we want, at the same time, we just continued to pray Philippians 2 over ourselves almost every night. And you're familiar with that passage that's at the beginning, it says, do nothing out of selfishness or empty vain conceit, but with the humility of mind, consider the needs of others, Strickland family, consider the needs of those who live in the Highland community, 
as more important than your own. And then it just goes on to talk about how Christ lived that up, how he gave up his rights. And as we would read that, we would just feel the Holy Spirit saying, I am calling you to give up the rights of your life. The moment you came into fellowship with me and encountered salvation, you gave up your right to determine what that looked like. And so we just lived out this year of in very raw way of just dying to ourselves. That's the best way that I can say it. And that's what it says in Philippians 2, that Christ gave up his rights. He humbled himself to the point of death. But then the end says, but then God raised him up, highly exalted him, and gave him a name above every other name. And as we would pray that, the Holy Spirit would just encourage us saying, if you want me to raise myself up in you so that when people look at the Strickland family, they do not see Rob and Carrie. What they see is the Holy Spirit working in you, bringing the kingdom of heaven, bringing that light into these very dark, desolate, ruined places. Then that requires you saying, none of me and all of you. And so that was really the stage that the Lord set in our lives. We did nothing. And when I say we did nothing, if we did do something, we usually messed it up. So we were just really at the church at that time and um, just trying to figure out what in the world the Lord was calling us to. So eventually what we learned was this, and I'm setting the stage and turning it to true spring at this point. What we had learned was when middle class people like ourselves move into a neighborhood like North Highland, you think that you know all the answers. You think that you know the solutions for all the problems that you see around you. And then you quickly learn, oh, no, we know nothing because everything that we kept trying to do really backfired. And so our, our motto kind of became stop thinking you have all the right answers and start asking all the right questions. And so we started hosting these community meetings in our neighborhood saying, you know, the church is here. If the church is here, then light should be coming into this community, but also development should be coming into this community. The spiritual and physical should be coming together here. And so we would start hosting these community meetings and say, come here, everybody from the neighborhood that wants to be a part of the rebuilding of your own neighborhood We are asking you to come and tell us what you want us to be about. And so in those meetings, three things came out. True Spring Academy, which is a private Christian school for children who live in poverty. There are only two other schools in the entire state of Georgia that are private Christian schools that go after children in poverty. So we are that third one. We run kindergarten through fifth grade, and it's for children who live in that neighborhood. If you can walk there, we will find a way to get you in that room. So Tree Spring Academy was one of them. They said, we want you to focus on our children. Please, we cannot continue to see them fall through the cracks of society, and no one ever notices, and no one ever cares. And so we took the motto of Matthew 18, where Christ says, go after the one. And North Highland is filled with ones, the people that no one sees. And the Lord says, but I see them. Go after them. So our school, True Spring Academy, is kindergarten through fifth grade. We have about 70 children right now that we are educating every day. Rob is the director of that as well. And then the other thing that they asked us to be about was housing. If you've driven down the road, you know that most of the houses are slums, um, blighted. 
They were built to the 1940s, so they have terrible um, windows and roofs, and there's no insulation, and, and so it's just really bad living conditions. Oftentimes, people are left choosing between paying their rent bill or paying their power bill, because power bills can be up to $900 for one house in that neighborhood because it's so poorly insulated and cared for. So they said, please be about housing. So we started a housing development project where we buy homes in that neighborhood, we renovate them, and then instead of looking for a family outside to put in that home, we say, where's a family who already lives here who needs a better place to live, an affordable, quality home? And then the last one, which is our newest, and Crystal's here. If y'all know Crystal, she could tell you all about True Spring Trade School. Um, one day, I would love for you to be able to give Crystal the opportunity to share, Will, um, about she's just been an amazing fit with us, and we love her. Yeah, so, sure. But um, at our last community meeting, we said, okay, we've got True Spring Academy. We're going after our children. We're doing development with the housing. We think we can take on one more thing. And in the room that day, it was filled mainly with adults, and they said, we want to work help us be able to work. And so in that lane of asking right questions, we said, well, why can't you work? And so all of them, no prior work experience, no marketable skills, no education, criminal background, no transportation, you just name it, and the barriers were there. And so True Spring said, okay, we will be about that. So we created True Spring Trade School, which I don't have time to go into all of it, but the theme of it, I'm just going to sum it up to tell you what the theme of it Everything that we do has a scriptural foundation to it because everyone that comes into our programs, the majority of them do not know Christ. So we offer this great opportunity for development while we're tying it together with this awesome example of this is exactly how to bring scripture to life. And so Truth Spring Trade School came right out of Isaiah 61.4, which is they will rebuild the waste places. They will build up the devastations of generations long ruined. And so that's what we're giving them the opportunity to do. We're teaching them trades like construction. But then what's really significant about this is we are giving them the opportunity to use that trade to rebuild their own community with their own hands. And it is powerful. I just just drive down Fifth Avenue one day this coming week, and you will see it happening. You will see it taking place, and it's just exciting. It truly is. So that, that's a little snippet of Tree Spring. I don't have time to go into detail any more than that. Two things before we sit down. First thing is thank you so much for your generosity, Midtree. It means a great deal to us. And then secondly, great job, music team. That was excellent, excellent worship. Thank you for leading us in that way. Can we give a shout out to the music team? That was fantastic. 